welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, with Pastor John King. I know it is a ways off, but I, I would like to put a plug in to uh, dads, fathers, grandfathers here at this church. It's a week-long VBS, but you know what? It's going to mean a, a lot to not only your kids, but the kids attend. If you, you know, just take a day's leave. You don't have to take the whole week off. But really, I want to, I want to put out the, to the men of this church to become a part of VBS. Because you, you would be surprised. Just your presence. You think, well, what am I going to do? Hey, just your presence there, just encouraging those young uh, men and those young kids, really. Uh, means a lot. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be saying that more, but I, I challenge you guys, you know, think about just investing some time. You don't have to, again, take the whole week off. Amen? Amen. All right. So today we get to start a brand new book of the Bible, a letter actually. It's a very short letter. It's got four chapters. We're going to be in Philippians. We start in the, the letter, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And today we're going to cover verses 1 through 6. And so as you're getting ready, as you're turning there, uh, scrolling there, wherever, however you're getting there, I would uh, just, let me, let me give a little bit of an intro. This is not going to be a super long message. It's kind of an intro message for the book. But uh, today we're going to begin our study to the, as I said, to the church in Philippi. And you think, well, where is Philippi? Now, uh, if you have a, a real Bible, you can look in the back of your Bible map. If you have a Bible app, you can still find it. Probably faster, you would say. But in any event. Uh, Philippi is an ancient city, still there, located in northern Greece. And it's a region known as Macedonia. And Paul will refer to the Macedonians several times in his letters. But the interesting thing we need to remember, as Paul's writing this letter from the prison... What comes to mind is what actually took place in Acts 16. And I'm going to give you sort of a paraphrased version of the exciting things that happened in Acts chapter 16. That part of uh, Dr. Luke records in Acts chapter 16 how Paul, during his second missionary journey in what is now South Central Turkey, was prevented by the Holy Spirit from going to preach the Word of God. You know, sometimes the Lord prevents us from going to certain places. And so he, he tried to go in these northern provinces, and he couldn't get there. He found himself in this Greek city of Troas, which is on the coast. And Paul then received a vision, and you might know this, it's called the Macedonian Call. And Acts 16.9 records what happened. It says, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now that's a sign from the Lord. You know, the doors that were being shut, that's truly a sign from the Lord. And so Paul and his companions quickly sailed northwest over the Aegean Sea and they made their way eventually to this city of Philippi. It was a Roman city that some of the most famous and exciting adventures of Paul's ministry took place. This is where there actually was no Jewish synagogue established. You remember there had to be 10, wherever the Jews at that time, if there were 10 families, Orthodox Jews, they were to establish a synagogue. Well, they didn't have that many. It was a Roman city. But Paul met a Jewish woman named Lydia. And she was a part of a group of men and women who would meet by the river and pray. And she received the gospel message from Paul. It says that the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And she was baptized in that river. In fact, her whole household then got baptized. And Paul was invited to stay in their house. What a wonderful setting, right? What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful scene. Here you are by this beautiful river. You, you preach the gospel and a lady gives her life to the Lord and eventually her whole household surrenders to Christ. But things change very quickly after that. You may recall the account of this slave girl who was possessed with what was called a spirit of divination. 
And this is divination. It's the act of trying to obtain secret knowledge. You see it all throughout ancient world and even today. She was a slave, uh, or since she was a slave, her owners could actually make money off of her as a fortune teller. Okay, think of a palm reader. Think of a fortune teller. And the owners uh, had her there. And so she would follow Paul around while he was ministering in the city, him and, his, and Silas and Timothy. And for several days, she was making these very annoying public proclamations. She would say, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And Paul was sick and tired of it. Why? Because he didn't want the devil doing his advertising for him. And so he got tired of it. And so what did he do? He was the Apostle Paul, the great apostle. And he cast the demon out of this girl. And so, you know, her owners, they were mad now. They're like, hey, you're reaching into our pocket, Paul. You know, you're taking away our source of income. And they feared they couldn't make any money. So this being a corrupt little Roman town, they went to the magistrate. And they dragged Paul and Silas to this magistrate. They were publicly ridiculed. They were beaten with rods and thrown into jail. In fact, they were put into the very center part of the jail. And their feet were placed in stocks. But you guys know the story, right? It gets better. At midnight, Paul and Silas, what were they doing? They were praying and singing hymns to God. And they were doing it out loud. And all of a sudden, there was a great earthquake. <laughs> Strong enough to shake the foundation, loosen every prisoner's chains, and open every single cell door. It's recorded by Dr. Luke. And when the poor jailer woke up, he saw the condition of things, and he was ready to take his own life. Because for that to happen, to, ha to lose control of his jail meant that he had to suffer their punishment instead. And Paul told him, he says, no, nobody has, nobody's left yet. Don't kill yourself. The scripture then records in Acts 16, 29 and 34. The jailer, then he called for a light. He ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, that's, you talk about a little revival going on there. And so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So if anybody's listening to this and you're the head of a household, a dad or a mom raising children, you know what? When you give your life to the Lord, guess what? Chances are really good that your kids are going to follow through. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and they were all in his house. And immediately at the same hour of night, they washed their stripes. They'd been beaten. They washed their stripes. And all of his family was baptized. And now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before him. He rejoiced having believed in God with all of his household. Now, the next day, the Roman magistrates... They had egg on their face. Why? Well, because as it turns out, Paul was a Roman citizen. And you're not allowed to do that to a Roman citizen. They had rights after all, right? They were protected under the Roman law. And this was a major blunder. And they couldn't be put under unreasonable actions by the state, which they were. So they tried to get Paul to leave. You know, they said, they told the jailer, hey, go, go tell Paul. Just tell him that charges are dropped. Get on out. And you guys know, Paul's like, no, I ain't letting you off the hook that easy. You're going to come tell me to my face. And he made the magistrate. Now, magistrates were very powerful people in Roman society. And they came down and they spoke to him in person. And then they pleaded with Paul to depart the city. They're like, we don't, we don't, you're casting out demons. Earthquakes are happening. You know, all these miracles are taking place. You need to get out of here. Please leave. What a way to plant a church, huh? And so as we begin this letter, these are the things that Paul had on his mind. As he remembered his time in this amazing city and the amazing work of God, 11 years later, here he is in prison. He's been under house arrest for probably two years by now. Timothy's locked up with him. And he writes this letter. And this has been called the letter of joy. He really looked forward to writing this letter. 
because he really loved this church. So let's read just our first six verses. It says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that how you start your letters? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. And here's a memory verse. And this, this book has all kinds of memory verses in it. This letter. He says, being confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for just bringing it. Lord, what a time to celebrate. You know, sometimes we, we get down in the weeds and we see the wickedness of the world and we see the wickedness of our own hearts and it can bring us down, Lord God. And we can go through tough seasons. But Lord, I pray for us as a church that, you know, we would see the joy in a way that's totally unexpected, in a way that proves that you are king and that you are Lord, and it proves that we are just mere citizens here. We're renting in a hotel, you know, this life is just like a hotel. We're going to pay the bill in the morning, and we're going to call us back to heaven someday. And people don't get that, and we often don't get that, Lord, but help us to understand. Help us to understand your great love for us, and the joy that you have in the work that you do through us. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name, and all God's people said. Amen. So as we said, Paul starts with a greeting. It's a simple, it's a simple verses, verses 1 and 2. But notice, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now you guys know that most of the time, Paul's letters come with a different approach. When he writes a letter, it comes with a title. Normally he'll say, Paul an apostle, or Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the most of the way he, he does it. But right away, we notice there's a different tone in this message. And as we will learn, Paul regarded this particular church as true partners in ministry. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. And we, we even, even talked about it a little bit. Heidi mentioned it and, and, uh, and uh, Virginia mentioned it in her prayers about serving together. Partners in ministry. And he says, with Timothy, now Timothy's word means honoring God. There, there are two letters written at the very end of Paul's life and his second imprisonment to his son, his son in the Lord, his spiritual son, Timothy. And so, you know, we know that he was a, a resident of what's modern day Turkey, a place called Lystra. His father was Greek and his mother was Jewish. And he, was, he ended up being Paul's traveling companion. And as we go through Paul's letters, we're going to hear a lot about Timothy. In fact, we see Timothy's name 28 times in the New Testament. And he referred to Timothy as my own son in the faith. My dearly beloved son. And he was ordained by Paul as a prophet by Paul and the elders in Derby and Lystra. And then he accompanied Paul on his second and third missionary journeys. And he was here at Rome while Paul was writing this letter. He was apparently there uh, also being held by the Roman authorities. Now notice, Paul and Timothy, he gives them the title, bond servants. <laughs> bond servants. Now in that day and age, that wouldn't be something to brag about, that you're a slave. But he's using it to define what it is he's a slave to. He's, he's, he's saying, look, I have given my life to Jesus Christ. I am now a servant and a slave unto him. And the truth of the matter is, is we're all slaves to something, right? We're all slaves. It doesn't matter how you live your life. Uh, you're going to find yourself under bondage to something, especially apart from Christ. And he says, uh, you know, we're bondservants. We're doulos. And so that's the from, you know, ancient letters start backwards. It goes from to instead of to from. And it says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And he starts with the members of the church in Philippi. You know, he's going to acknowledge the leadership, but he really wants to include everybody because Paul doesn't show any partiality and favorites. These saints are hagios. They're set apart for God as if they were exclusively for his use. Think about it. When you call yourself a saint... You are saying, if you're a saint of God, if you've become a Christian, 
you're a saint and you're set apart, set apart and you are exclusively to be used by him. You know, oftentimes we love our free will and our ability to do whatever we want, but we need to humble ourselves before the Lord because we were meant for a purpose. He has a purpose and a plan for everybody's life. And as saints, you and I share in a life of growing in his grace each and every day, being conformed into his image as a possession of Christ himself, and he will present you and I as his glorious bride. Spotless and sinless, the Holy Spirit now indwells us, and he's using the word of God to guide us. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. One writer put it this way, being a saint, this also means, and you, some of you are going to like this, this also means that we are non-conformists. We don't give in to peer pressure. We don't go along with the crowd when we know that the crowd is wrong. Romans 12.2. Paul instructs as he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You got something to prove. Not works, but you got something to prove. And here they are in Philippi, or Philippoi, if you want to be technical about it. It's a city in Macedonia. We talked about it on the northern coast of the Aegean Sea, north portion. Uh, today, in modern times, it's divided up. Macedonia is now divided up among all those Baltic states that you read about. Bosnia and Herzegovina and all those places. But at this time, Philippi was the capital city of the Macedonian province. Now, the city... Was a, was a colony of Romans. And it was populated at this time in history, it was populated, populated by many Roman citizens. As we said earlier, there wasn't a big Jewish citizenry. And a lot of them were retired Roman soldiers. And they were considered, as I said, a Roman colony. In fact, some would say it was considered kind of like a little miniature Rome. It was under the municipal law of Rome. It was governed by military officers. They were appointed directly from Rome. You get the picture. And here, Paul and his companion Silas and others actually planted or formed through the gospel, through the account we read in Acts, the first church on the European continent. So we, we have Philippi. Notice, so he mentions with the, the bishops and deacons. He's going to acknowledge the leadership and he recognizes it. So by now, 11 years later, the church has become established and it has, you know, officers of the church, bishops or overseers. That's, that's a word, it's uh, epi, epi means over and scopio means to look. So they were overseers, they were episcopos, overseers to look or watch. And it's a title which has the same function as an elder or a pastor. Notice also that they were deacons, servants. In the early church, you guys know this, the deacons and the deaconesses were assigned by the church to care for the poor and to distribute the money collected on their behalf. But here in our modern day times, uh, they've made deacon the offense of deacon as sort of a government board in some denominations. But deacons still are called to assist the overseers in the various ministry-related tasks. Verse 2. So having addressed them, now he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you've heard this before. You've heard the word grace before. We often say it's unmerited favor, and that is true. The grace of God, thank the Lord for his grace. But there are three primary effects, if you're taking notes, there are pre three primary effects on the life of a believer. When we say grace, what does that mean? You know, aside from the fact that God has been gracious to us, what does that mean? Well, you have three things. First, you have saving grace, and then you have equipping grace, and then finally you have empowering grace. So you've been saved, you've been equipped, and you've been empowered. Saving grace, we see it in Ephesians 2.8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. 
Equipping grace we see in Romans 12, 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, let us prophesy, in proportion to our faith. So we have saving grace, equipping grace, and here more of what Paul is talking about, empowering grace. Acts 4.33, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And look what happened. Great grace was upon them all. And so he says, grace to you, saving grace, equipping grace, empowering grace, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't just from the Father, it was from the Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Grace and peace. Very important. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, 27 is where Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world does do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Grace and peace. They're essential blessings for the Christian life, according to Chuck Swindoll, especially for carrying out the Christian ministry. These things, listen, these things cannot be conjured up from within. You know, when you find yourself kind of in a rut and serving the Lord and thinking, oh, woe is me, I don't feel like it today. Nobody appreciates the things that I do. They don't even care, you know, nobody even thanks me. Well, you know you're in your flesh. You know, you, you, you know that you're, you know, you're trying to do ministry from your flesh and you, it just doesn't work. You need the grace and the peace of God. Because they're gifts of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Early on, right at the very beginning of this letter, we see a lot of healthy aspects to this church. Just the simple fact that Timothy is present with Paul still, even 10, 11 years later. You know, that brings us joy. When we, when we look back, think of, your, think of your life as a Christian, and maybe you've attended many different churches. God has moved you in different places. And when you think back, and then you notice um, over the course of time, you look back and, you, and you, maybe you get back in touch with the people you fellowship with, and you see that the same group of people are still together serving. And that brings a lot of joy. Because that shows that there was unity through the hard times and the difficult times. And so Timothy, you know, here he is. He's letting them know he's with them. And you might want to ask yourself, okay, what, what, does, what does a healthy church look like? Well, here we have an example. A healthy church that serves Christ, for one thing. A healthy church is full of true saints, true believers. And it has leaders that lead by example. And it experiences... The grace and peace of God through Jesus. That's, that's a healthy church. You say, well, I want to I see a big church. I want to see a massively huge church. I want to see it you know, overflowing. Yeah, we all want to see that. But that doesn't speak to health. Healthy churches have one another. I see it here. Serving Christ. Truly saved. And hopefully as leaders, we're leading by example. None of us are perfect, I have to say. But we get to experience the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace of God. It's been pointed out by many that this particular word, this, this letter, the word joy or rejoicing gets used like 19 times. And it has been labeled by the scholars, you know, and the smarty pants theologians. And they say, this is called the epistle of joy. I, I like that, though. I like it. But this letter was written by a man who is in prison awaiting trial before Caesar Nero, and he doesn't know whether he's going to die or not. And he's got joy in his heart. How could he express joy under those circumstances? As we go through this letter, I want you to keep in mind that Paul had learned something very important, something we all need to learn. And he learned how to keep himself focused. He knew the promises of God. And he let the Spirit of God control his mind. 
And so if we, can, we add those things together, knowing God's word, knowing his promises, and asking the spirit to control your lives, you will find joy in the worst, worst circumstances. John Corson, Pastor John Corson wrote this. He says, I am convinced that the joy Paul wrote about, the joy that he lived out, was not based on his heart, but on his mind. Not how he felt, but on how he thought. The saying is true, your attitude does indeed affect your altitude. How you think affects how you feel. It's not the other way around. Your feelings, they are strong, but they aren't, they aren't to be the driver. You need to think about the truth. You need to place the truth before you. And it will change your heart. You have to change your mind so that God can change your heart. Amen. Paul knew who he was, something very important. Do you know who you are in Christ? Because Paul knew who he was and what he was to accomplish. Despite the pressure of being confined and the uncertainty of how his life was about to unfold from this day forward. It's been said that in this life, you and I will be guided by two things, either pressures or priorities. Priorities are what God wants you to do and pressures are what everyone else wants you to do. Sometimes, well, my wife would say something different maybe sometimes. As a husband, there's sort of an exception there. You guys know that, right? Anyway. But sometimes, sorry, rabbit trail. Sometimes we look, <laughs> we look at our day and we say, I didn't really accomplish anything. Have you ever done, come on, tell me you haven't not experienced that. Like, I didn't get anything done today. I sure was busy, but I didn't get anything done today. But there's a large difference between being busy and actually accomplishing something, isn't there? Because just being busy, all it does is create anxiety and stress in our lives. And you and I must stay focused. This starts by knowing who we are and what he wants to produce in and through us. What is, that? What, is he, what is he saying here? Well, first of all, you and I need to know who we are. We're actually his branches. I, I, won't, I won't say look at your neighbor and call him a branch. <laughs> but you can think it. We are his branches. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Amen. That's who you are. You are to go and bear fruit. And what kind of fruit are we talking about? How do I inspect the quality of my fruit? Stop looking at others' fruit, by the way. Yeah, you can make judgment calls, but really you need to talk about yourself. Yes. The quality of that fruit, we know it. Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Why is there no law? Because you're doing it by the Spirit of God. And so that should be the fruit that you inspect in your life. In my life. But the choice is ours. We can live by life by the Spirit or try to put it all on our own shoulders. And remember, I have no slide for this, but Jesus said, Matthew 11, 29 and 30, you've heard it. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's confusing sometimes because the life that I'm living right now may not seem very easy. But when I come to my Savior, when I take His yoke and put it upon me, everything changes. Everything changes. And so as we move on, verses 3 through 6, He has a thankful remembrance. You know, you're in our thoughts and prayers, is what He's saying. And you can say, you know, sometimes, our, you know, you guys know about what happened recently to our son, Christopher, and I'm so thankful for the fact that he survived and he's going to make a complete recovery. And I'm so thankful for this church for all your prayers. And, you know, you put it out, and it's nobody here, but some people, you can tell, some people object to asking or suggesting that you be praying for them. And so they'll say something like, 
hey, sorry he's going through this. He's in my thoughts. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like atheist. But, uh, you know, uh, I mean, really, you know, because it's like, I ain't gonna, I'm not going to pray. But I'm going to think for you. Have you ever had an atheist? Atheists are funny, actually. I, you should have friends that are atheists. I have friends that are atheists. And uh, I remember one time I was having an online conversation with my atheist friend. I used to serve in the military. He was actually one of my commanders. Dropped out of seminary. Now he's an atheist. Anyway, um, he, uh, I, I, at some point I said something about I'll be praying for you. And he came right back. He said, I'll be thinking for you. <laughs> They're so funny. They're so cheeky that way. It's funny. But thankful remembrance. He says, I thank my God. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You remember what we were talking about in Acts 16 and all the stuff he went through? And he, some, you come to mind, he goes, I thank my God. I thank my God. Eucharisto. He's grateful. He feels thankful. Upon every remembrance of you. You know, every time Paul thought of them, he would thank God. Amazing. This speaks of Paul's single-mindedness, doesn't it? Instead of wallowing in self-pity, he chose to give thanks for the work God had done among them. And oh, so we need to learn how to do that. Mm. I need to learn how to do that. Now in reality, as you guys know, in any, any meaningful relationship, there are going to be hard times, there are going to be bad times, and there are going to be disappointing times. But Paul chose to remember the good. You see, you can actually choose joy. Remember, you're thinking. You can choose to be joyful. Or you can choose stress. What's it going to be? Door number one or door number two? <laughs> Always in every prayer of mine. Now notice his thoughts lead right to prayer. It isn't just I'm thinking of you. No, I'm thinking and I'm praying for you. Making requests for you with all joy. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says we are to pray without ceasing. Our prayer habits are important. Paul chose to pray every time the Philippians came to mind. He says, making requests for you all with joy. In other words, you are truly in my prayers, brothers and sisters. Why was Paul so glad to pray? Well, he says it in verse 5. He's praying and he's thankful and he has joy because of their fellowship in the gospel from the very first day until now. From the very first time when Paul was, you know, singing praises to the Lord and the, the earthquake took place and Lydia had already given her life to the Lord and Silas or the jailer was going to give his life to the Lord and they planted that church there. And he says from the very first day, for your fellowship in the gospel. It's getting to be that time for me. I kind of missed it where I watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy every year. Right, Margaret? I watch it. <laughs> she doesn't like it. She likes it. But I love, I love to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy because you have, you know, the fellowship of the ring. And that's a metaphor. That's a, that's a motif of the type of fellowship you can have going through life. I won't bore you with the Lord of the Rings. Some of you love it. Some of you don't want to hear any more about it. But for your fellowship in the gospel. You see, some of us have never seen it. That's okay. You didn't even read the book. Paul saw this church as ministry partners. <laughs> Sorry. Now he wasn't trying to, he wasn't writing them. Let's get back on track. My, my bad. He wasn't writing to correct a doctrinal or a sin situation like we see. Now this is, this is a letter of joy. Okay, let's remember that. This fellowship or koinonia. Koinonia means sharing what they had together in common. They shared what? Well, they, like we do. They shared a saving faith in Christ. I hope. If you're not saved here, you need to come talk to me or Pastor John or one of your sisters in the Lord maybe. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not only does this not do anything for you, but you unfortunately are going to be separated by your sins if you die. So just remember that. Just a little, just a little reminder. Uh, very important thing. <laughs> but fellowship. A saving relationship in Christ. That's what you share with us. Not only is it personal between you and Jesus, but you also share it together. 
You attend the same church together. You share in the sufferings of Christ. And you share in the resurrection, the promise of resurrection. See, not only are we going to suffer for things as Christ did, but we're going to share in the resurrection. So their fellowship was in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have common fellowship. You know, we're going to enjoy a fellowship meal, and I encourage you. Let's, why not all stay today? Come on. No, we got enough chairs and tables and enough food. We're going to enjoy a fellowship meal together, and we're going to take communion together very shortly. That's what we share in common. But Paul is also talking about, listen to me for a second here, a deeper fellowship being put forth. It wasn't just a social hour on Sunday. They actually labored for the sake of the gospel. Paul mentions their generosity several times in other epistles. And this was remarkable because they were not a wealthy church. They begged Paul to support his ministry. He didn't ask for money. He said, you guys don't have a lot of money. You don't have to give. They said, no, we don't, we don't want to miss out on the opportunity to give. They were a, a ascending church. They were a generous church. But this deeper fellowship that Paul is trying to get to here, and it's something that all pastors are going to want to say to their churches. Um, one writer put it this way. Fellowship over coffee after church or Mexican food is good. Is good. Okay, don't, please don't get me wrong. But it's not Christian fellowship. What is it? It's fellowship among Christians. Oh, you're such a wordsmith, mister. But it's not the fellowship that Paul celebrated. Think about that for a second. What are we talking about then? Well, for our, in our context, okay, you know, we're a little church. We, have, we do a lot of things, but we're not, you know, a larger church that has multiple ministries and multiple opportunities and multiple, you know, property. But, you know, and that's fine because the Lord provided this. And so we're happy for that, by the way. You know, when Calvary Chapel started in 2005, there was zero money. It wasn't seed money that planted this church. And I'm not against that type of church planting that takes place among networks. There was no money to be had. It was only the people. And that's why it's still a church here locally. is because you have been generous. People have been generous. So what are we talking about? This deeper fellowship. Well, it's fellowship in service together. You know, when our prayers, we get together in our prayer groups. The men every other Tuesday. The women every other Thursday. Uh, souls ministry, when we go out. I mean, you, you can probably remember more times of actual memories serving with people and getting to know them better in these smaller settings and you can listen to me on a Sunday, I can tell you that. Okay, that's where you build memories together. We have, we're talking about this upcoming Franklin Graham tour. We're talking about love life. Yesterday, you know, we, we joined with other churches. The church united in a place several hours away. We joined with other churches for, uh, to, to pray for the unborn. And I remember those conversations for a long time and the new people I met and the fact that I got to, again, witness God at work in His church. Yes. How about VBS, which I gave a, a plug for? I'm going to keep saying it too. Guys, come on. I'll be out there. Like, oh, that, that, that confirms it. We will definitely not be there. <laughs> but uh, VBS. I still remember the, year, the last year what we did with those kids and the fun we had. See, that's a deeper fellowship. And this is where we do it. And this is why Paul, stuck in a Roman jail, waiting to have his case become... How would you like your case to go before Caesar Nero? You know, the, the dude that fiddled and, and uh, celebrated while Rome was burning. The guy that used to use Christian martyrs as actual live candles to light his garden. How would you like to be waiting for his decision about your life for standing for Christ? And he would joyfully pray for this church. He says, from the first day until now, we've been in fellowship together. Ever since that lady came to know the Lord, Lydia, the jailer, they've had a long, healthy relationship in the Lord. Isn't that what you want? Until the Lord calls you home? Finally, verse 6. This is our memory verse. I, liked, I wanted to leave it on this. Being confident of his very thing, or he says, uh, in one version, says, I am sure of this, 
This means I trust. I'm very I'm confident of this very purpose. And again, we need to be single-minded about what God tells us and what he promises us. That he, Jesus, who has began a good work in you, will complete it. He's going to finish it. And that helps us in so many ways. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the day he calls us home. Until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Or when he calls you into paradise before that time. This work will continue until we see Christ. And then the work will be fulfilled. I mean, how many unfinished projects do you have? A whole bunch. Well, God doesn't have any unfinished projects, folks. They may be in progress, though. But he will finish him. 1 John 3, 2, it says, Then we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I can't see Jesus right now. I can see great movies about him and great, you know, things of depictions of Jesus. I can't see him right now with my eyes. But someday we will. But I see his promise in his word. I see him at work through you guys. I see him at work through how you minister and how you love on one another. So why is this such a good memory verse? Well, it's because of its application. It helps us to remember that God is not finished with us, for one, because we're all under divine construction. You could put a sign around your neck. It could say, under construction. You actually have it there. You may not see it, but it's true. You can flip it around so you can see it on the back. We're all under construction. People are always growing. And yet, until we were resurrected, until we reached perfection with Christ, we've never arrived. And if you wait for people to be perfect before having a relationship with them, you're never going to get there. There's no perfect wife or husband. There's no perfect parent. There's no perfect child. There's no perfect boss. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect church member. And there's no perfect pastor. But Paul was confident of God's power to change people. And the question is, are you and I, do you have the same confidence of the power that God has to change people? Because if we say we are, and everybody may want to say amen, and maybe you're being honest and you say, I'm not ready to say that. But if you say that you are, if you're confident in what God's power, then you need to be patient. And that's a gift of the Spirit. Because you're not going to get it from yourself. As we get ready to close and we're going to take communion together, the worship team is going to come up. First of all, let's remember that living a joy-filled life in Christ requires each of us to know both who we are and what we want to accomplish for the Lord. No both who we are and what we want to accomplish. And as we consider our relationships, and, lo- and you know, we live, in a, we live in kind of a spread out society, even here locally. Some of us drive a long way to get here. Uh, some of us have to come from other counties. Let's, let's keep in mind that we need to look for the good and we need to keep one another in prayer. Take the time. If you're praying for somebody, I- I'd encourage you, Take the time to let them know you're praying for them. Don't be embarrassed. So as we bring the lights down and we prepare for our communion time, I want to have the worship team sing this song. And I would just ask that you, again, prepare your heart. You know, you can give, you can have joy this morning knowing that we're sharing. This is communion. We're doing this together that the Lord gave this to us as a time to reflect on Him. And it's also a time for you and I to search our hearts. Maybe there's some harboring. Maybe there's some sin issues. Maybe you didn't hear a single word I said today because you're wrestling with something that's really eating you alive. And that's real too, and we know that happens. Now's the time to sit before the Lord and ask Him to heal your heart. Now's the time to sit before the Lord and ask Him to forgive you 
And even if there were somebody in this room, you know, if it, it, God forbid if there's somebody in this room that you have something against, it's not a shame to go tell them that you're sorry. It's not a shame to make things right. Nobody in this, in this church is ever going to condemn that. Whatever the situation you're going through, you and I need to sit for a little while, be ministered, and prepare to receive communion. And after you've done that, make your ways to the, to the table as we always do. Take your communion and go back to your seats. Amen?
I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance for me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, as we close our service today, we thank you once again for giving us a sweet remembrance of all the work that you did for us on behalf of our sins. How you took them away. How your blood washes them away. How it, your blood brings the new covenant. The covenant of grace that we spoke of today. And we thank you, Lord. Once again, may we never grow tired of thanking you for your love and grace. May we never grow tired of recognizing and remembering your great sacrifice. And Lord, we know we have a promise from you that someday we'll be at this great wedding feast of the Lamb, the marriage supper. And it's then you'll partake of the fruit of the vine once again. And we can share it with you, with all the saints and all the angels. And we thank you, Lord, for that blessed promise that you've given us so Lord as we get ready to depart for today and for those who will stay and remain uh, for a continued time of fellowship and a meal together Lord I ask that, that you would bless the meal that you would nourish it to our bodies we give thanks for all the hands that prepared the meal that we're going to partake of today we thank you once again for all of the blessings that you provide Go before us now as we take your good news out to this world, this lost and dying world. And help us, Lord, to remember the joy that we have in you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. Joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.